Good morning. My name is Faith Couture, and I am a student at Eureka College studying elementary education along with Spanish endorsement. Um, I'm also a student leader for CREW, and I've been coming to Crosspoint since 2020. <laughs> Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. Let's hear God's words first in Spanish and then in English. Ahora los exerto, hermanos y hermanas, en el nombre de nuestro Señor Jesucristo, a que todos ustedes estén en acuerdo en lo que dicen, que no haya divisiones entre ustedes, y que estén unidos con el mismo, intimiendo en la misma convicción. Porque me han informado acerca de ustedes, mi hermanos y hermanas, por miembros del pueblo de Chloe, que hay rivalidad entre ustedes. Lo que estoy diciendo es lo siguiente. Uno de ustedes dice, ¿Pertenzco a Pablo? ¿Pertenzco a Apolos? ¿O pertenzco a Serfas? ¿O pertenzco a Cristo? ¿Está Cristo dividido? ¿Fue Pablo crucificado por ti? ¿O fuiste batizado en el nombre de Pablo? Doy gracias a Dios porque no batice a ninguno de ustedes, excepto a Crispo y Cayo, para que nadie puede decir que fueron batizados en mi nombre. De hecho, baticé a la familia de Estefanas. Más allá de eso, no recuerdo si batice a alguien más. Porque Cristo no me envió a batizar, sino a predicar el evangelio, no con sabiduría, Eloquente para que la cruz de Cristo no se vacisara de su efecto. For the people who do not understand that, <laughs> in English it means, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you are united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is rivalry, rivalry among you. What I am saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in Paul's name? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Cephas and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't recall if I had baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Faith. I ask Faith to read it in both languages. Thanks for your willingness to do that. If you speak multiple languages, um, would you please let me know? I'd love to know that. And um, yes, you will be asked uh, probably to be, to be up on stage. So that's your, if you raise your hand, you're probably going to get called upon. But I would love, uh, I love that. If you have a Bible with you, uh, open it up to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 1 today looking at verses 10 through 17. Last Sunday, we began a new series called Grounded and Growing, 
which will take us through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of God in the city of Corinth, a church that he was praying would be more and more uh, grounded in the gospel and growing up into who they were in Jesus, a church that he had planted and spent about a year and a half with. He's sending this letter back to them after getting some discouraging reports about how the church is both believing and then living accordingly. The church, was started to, the, the church was starting to follow the patterns of the pagan city of Corinth rather than the, new, the patterns of a New Testament church that has Jesus Christ as their chief shepherd. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 9 where, where Paul is giving Christ-centered encouragement to them, reminding them, here's who you are in Jesus. You're saints in Him, thanks to the sufficient work on the cross and your faith in Him. You're sanctified in Him. You're set apart for His purposes and glory. You are to be distinct from the world. Here's what Jesus has done, and then He's reminding them, here's who, the, here's who you are in Him, and then reminding them of, of the Lord's grace that is evident both in their past, their present, and their future. Before He gets into any sort of correcting or calling out, Paul reminds them of grace and of Jesus and their new creation identity in Him. I love that. He's not calling them to change their beliefs and actions in order to earn God's grace, but because they already have received God's grace. So why would you walk in the ways of Corinth that is committed to the worship of self when you are new creations in Christ called to walk in a new way in the ways of Christ and the worship of our Savior? In this next section that we're looking at, Paul moves into an appeal for them to change and to move toward unity with one another in the local church, in the church of God at Corinth. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' prayer in John 17, and, and in that prayer, one group of people that he is praying for is us, his future disciples. And in John 17, he prays for several things, but one of those things is that his church, his people, that we would be one that there would be unity among believers, that relationships would not be at odds, that we'd flee from gossip and slander of one another, that, that when we hit conflict, that we'd humbly pursue reconciliation because the gospel is a gospel of reconciliation. We've received peace vertically and so horizontally, we are to be people of peace toward those around us, that when we'd be sinned against, that we'd forgive because Jesus has first forgiven us. That when we'd sin against another, that we wouldn't just dismiss that or ignore that, but we'd, we'd ask and we'd pursue forgiveness from that brother or sister that we've wronged. And Jesus prays that we might be one because the world that is watching our way of life, that world would know that Jesus was sent by the Father and we are His people sent into the world that the world would see visible evidence of how we are distinct and sanctified and set apart. Now, unity doesn't mean uniformity, right? I think we can all look at our local church or even local churches that we are partners with in the gospel, other local churches that, that Paul wrote in verse 2 of chapter 1 that we are all with those in every place who call in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both both ours and theirs is how he writes it. We can also look globally and see the global church. This is why I loved us hearing the scriptures in another language this morning, reminding us of 
global brothers and sisters who are worshiping Jesus globally in every tribe, every tongue, fellow brothers and sisters worshiping the risen Lord Jesus on this resurrection Sunday. So when we look globally, we go global or we look locally, we go globally, we quickly realize that unity in Christ doesn't mean uniformity. That while the gospel message remains of first importance in all these places, the, the methods, the style, the feel, the makeup of the, of, of the people, it looks different. It sounds different. The languages, the music styles, the translations of the scriptures. I'm often reminded of how eclectic the backgrounds are for those who call this church home. Some of you are hand clappers. Some of you aren't. Some of you are hand raisers. Some of you aren't. That's just a, one of a thousand different backgrounds that we all have. So what brings us unity then? How do we answer the Lord's prayer in John 17 and continually move toward unity? And at the same time, how do we not allow division and quarreling and, and, uh, to disrupt the unity of the Spirit that we have in Christ? We've all seen how in the past couple of years especially, the church of Jesus Christ be prim primarily and often marked by division and quarreling rather than unity. But again, that's a pattern of the world, is it not, brothers and sisters? So our prayer is that we'd follow instead in the pattern of Jesus Christ and His kingdom, the pattern of Father, Son, Spirit, triune, united God that we serve and worship. I believe verses 10 through 17 will be a good encouragement to us as we seek to follow Jesus who prayed for and came and died and rose again for our unity. Verse 10, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. <clears throat> urge you. Your translation may say, plead with you or appeal to you. In the beginning of the letter, Paul says, I'm writing to you as an apostle of Christ Jesus meaning I have spiritual authority to call you to change. And so I love here how that authority is wrapped in this tone, brothers and sisters. Too often right now, Twitter will tell you this every day, the World Wide Web will tell you this every day, gossip will tell you this every day, how the local church is often marked by spiritual abuse in those in authority. And so I love and that's tragic. So I love this picture right here. Paul writes not with a condemning tone of an apostle, but one of family. In a letter that is full of correction and full of calls to change, like every single week nearly. Paul will use this affectionate address of brothers and sisters nearly 40 times, more times than in any other letter he writes. Clear, truthful calls to change from a position of spiritual authority given in the warm, loving tone of brothers and sisters who he is alongside. We shouldn't choose that. It shouldn't be either or. It's both and. This is Christ-like under-shepherding that brings him glory and not the man glory. And in verse 10, Paul makes three appeals to them. The first being, agree in what you say. Literally meaning, speak the same thing. 
Speak the same gospel truth. Speak in the same tone that recognizes how greatly loved and lavishly loved we've been loved by Jesus. And so we are in, in the same way we're called to love one another. The second urging, that there be no divisions among you. The picture behind the word divisions there is that of, of tear, T-E-A-R, like fabric being torn apart. Paul is saying unity is being torn apart. Paul is saying your pride and rivalry and self-centeredness are tearing the fabric of the body of Christ away from each other. Notice he's saying divisions among you. So this, this urging is local. It's local. This local church, there, that there be no tearing among you. The final of the three appeals, that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. United meaning joined together. The original meaning for united is a medical word used of knitting together bones that have been fractured or joining together a joint that has been dislocated. The disunion is unnatural. It must be cured. It must be set right for it to heal and function properly. That you'd be joined together by the great physician with the same understanding, the same conviction. So, so this is not unity at the expense of truth, but because of the truth. A little over six years ago, we articulated more clearly both our statement of beliefs and then what we call our statement of convictions, both of which you can find on our website. But our statement of beliefs is what we as covenant members wholeheartedly agree upon, orthodox Christian beliefs that have been around for centuries. Our statement of convictions are then summary paragraphs on areas that are sometimes debated among Bible-believing Christ followers. Some people refer to these as secondary matters of doctrine, but they are nonetheless important and true as we understand and interpret the Scriptures. Our teaching and ministry is going to be shaped by these convictions, so this is why we did the labor of trying to articulate that. We did the work of articulating our beliefs and convictions more clearly so that we might be more united in, our under, in the same understanding and the same conviction. So that even if we disagree on secondary matters, we will not divide over fellowship. We will not divide our fellowship, our partnership over secondary matters because bringing God glory, making disciples of Jesus is of first importance. It's not about us. It's about His mission his glory. So we won't divide over secondary matters. Brothers and sisters, Paul then makes these, these three appeals to them in verse, uh, verse 11. For it, ha for it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there be no riv rivalry among you. So Chloe has business interests in both Ephesus, where Paul is writing this letter from, as well as in Corinth. And so members of her household are going back and forth between the two. And on one of those trips, they report to Paul the disunity that is happening in the Corinthian church, that there, be no that there are divisions among the church. There are contentions and conflict and quarreling, splitting up into factions and cliques among this local church. And then Paul spells them out. Verse 12, what I am saying is this, one of you says, I belong to Paul, or I have belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. So Paul lists four of the factions that have appeared in the church, and they're all built around identifying with a specific leader or teacher. One group says, well, well we belong to Paul. We're with the church planter. He founded the church. 
the one, the one who had a dramatic salvation story. He's traveled all over the region. He's a missionary to so many places, ministered to so many. And another group says, well, we're with Apollos. We're with the one who, according to Acts 18, is eloquent, fervent in spirit. He's so impressive from the pulpit, that Apollos. We're, we're with him. Another group says, well, we belong to Cephas, meaning Peter. We're with Peter. He was before Paul. He was before Apollos too. He's been in ministry longer than Paul. His tenure is unmatched. He's the leader of the 12. He preached at Pentecost. Thousands got saved and baptized. And yet another group says, well, we belong to Christ. We're with Jesus alone. Maybe this group had risen up in response to the other three following human leaders. We're not sure. But what we can imply is that this group is in a sense boasting in themselves for following Jesus. Saying, look at us for following Him. It's not look at Him, it's no look at us. Because we're so, so self-righteous, we, we got it right. So in light of verses 11 and 12, Paul then is, is calling out the nature of their disunity. What is at the base of it? It is that the people are polarizing around their favorite teacher. They see the qualities of of their teacher, whether it's Paul, Apollos, Cephas, as superior to the others. And they are then boasting or taking pride in that. It wasn't so much that they thought their leader was great, but rather that they thought they themselves were great for following that person. Their preferences, their pride were leading to division, a, a tearing of the fabric of the church, a breaking of the bones that now are in need of surgery and being reset couple things I want you to notice. First of all, Paul calls out his own group first. I love that. He's calling out the very group that is trying to elevate and lift him up. Wouldn't that be so easy if we're honest? So easy to like put your own in the footnote. Yeah, mine too, but it kind of feels good. Like allowing that to seep down into your ego but Paul refuses to, to do that. He goes after them first because he's following in the line of John the Baptist. Jesus must increase. I must, I must decrease. Secondly, notice that Paul is not confronting the messages or the teachings of, of the leaders because it wasn't like their messages were radically different. They weren't. They're all communicators of the gospel of God's grace. Rather, Paul is saying, you're dividing not over the message, but the messenger. Not the substance, but the style, the, the personality, which is not to divide us. Preferences, opinions, secondary things, thirdly things are not to divide us. This is what Paul lays out for us in Romans 14. One of my prayers as a pastor of this church is that we never become a cult of personality. Now, depending on your age, you immediately thought of a song in the late 80s. I apologize. Best of luck today. But what I mean by that is we'd never be defined by the personality of the lead pastor. We'd never be defined by the personality of any staff member, any volunteer leader, any singular member of the church. That we'd never be centered around a human. Rather, we'd be centered around Jesus, the God-man. That, that He would be the one who we would worship and follow alone. That, that any leader around here, lead pastor role, community group leader, servant in, in Sun Chasers, in Hype, any leader that, 
that ultimately we'd be servant Christ-like leaders, following in, in the Apostle Paul's comment in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. It's not about me, it's about the one I'm following, so let's follow him together. Loved ones, cross point is about Jesus Christ alone, his glory, his name. Every serving role around here, whether paid or unpaid, including my role, is a temporary interim role, a temporary interim assignment this side of heaven. That temporary may be decades long, but we're all in positions that ultimately will be filled, depending on the Lord's second coming, by other people, by future brothers and sisters, all Everywhere we serve is temporary. Everywhere we serve is interim. So we're going to reject making it about us. Because we're all interims. We're going to make it about the one who is eternal. Jesus Christ. He is our secure and steady foundation. So then starting in verse 13, Paul is going to try to expose the ridiculousness of their disunity. He's going to expose the lies of what they're believing and begin to remind them of what does actually bring unity. He's going to call them to to move toward unity in the cross of Christ. He's going to give three questions. The first is this. Is Christ divided? One picture of the church in the New Testament is that of a human body, that we are the hands and feet of Christ. We are the body of Christ. He he later writes this in the same letter, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, for just as the one body, or just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. So we, as fellow hands and feet, ears and lips, are one because Christ is one. This is one truth we remember when we enjoy the Lord's Supper. That just as just as there was one bread. We who are many are one body, so we all share in in the one bread. Is Christ divided, Paul asks? No, of course not. So we pursue unity and reject division because as brothers and sisters in Christ, we belong to the Lord. The next question he asks, was Paul crucified for you? The answers to all of these are obviously, they're obviously no. They're meant to expose the absurdity of the Corinthians thinking that they They should be tearing apart and allowing their pride and preferences to lead to division. Paul, of all people, the missionary, the church planter, the Holy Spirit-inspired writer of much of the New Testament, was quick to say, listen, I didn't die for you. I didn't hang on the cross and suffer and and bear the wrath of God, His wrath towards sin. And had I hung on the cross and died in that way, it wouldn't have atoned for anyone's sin let alone the world's sins, because Paul's saying, I'm not the perfect son of God. I'm not the promised Messiah from the Old Testament who has come in the flesh and done exactly what he's promised to do. Paul's saying, yes, I'm a teacher, an apostle, but I'm among you. I'm, I'm a servant. I needed the cross as much as you did. I need, present tense, the cross as much as you do. I needed the shed blood of Jesus and his crucified body as much as you do. See, when Jesus and his gospel is central to the life of the church, when it's about Jesus, ultimately it reminds us of our shared need for him and how he is our sufficient savior. 
that he is our great Lord whose ways, thoughts, and wisdom are higher than our own. It reminds us that the only person we should be boasting or bragging in is about Jesus. It's Jesus Christ alone. It's not ourselves. It's not leaders in the church. The last question he asks, were you baptized in Paul's name? The answer, of course not. You weren't baptized in, in my name, he says, but in, but in the name of Jesus Christ. So the so the group that is trying to exalt Paul, one angle they are taking is, well, we were some of his first disciples. We were some of the founders. He baptized us. But to brag about who baptized you is contradicting the point of baptism. Baptism, the immersion under the water, the rising up out of the water, identifies you not with the person who's baptizing you, but in, identifies you with Jesus Christ, who was buried and rose again on the third day came up out of the tomb. The person who baptizes you, it signifies the reality that you're now part of the family of God. You're in the community. You're among one another. You're, you're being sewn into the fabric of the church. But to brag about who baptized you is silly. And as you read those verses, you can imagine him dictating this, this letter to Sosthenes. And it's as if he says, he's like trying to recall names, like, oh yeah, I guess I baptized that person too. Oh, probably this, yeah, write, write that name down. I baptized very few Christian or Corinthian church members is what he's saying. Who he baptized is not as important as the name in which the people were baptized into. The name of Jesus Christ, who was himself baptized, whose gospel it is we identify with when we go public and testify to the grace of God in our lives. For some of you, baptism is a one of your next steps. Let's set a date. Let's celebrate. Let's, let's give public testimony to God's grace in your past, present, and how His grace will be faithful in the future. Paul goes on in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied, of its effect. Paul is saying baptism is important, but what's more important is the preaching of the good news. That was his commission from the Lord, to preach the gospel. The good news message of Jesus Christ is what we are centered, centered around. The Bible tells us it's through the hearing and believing of the good news that we are saved, so that is of utmost importance to Paul. And in chapter 15 of the same letter that we'll get to next year at some point, he says it's of first importance. He doesn't mention the, the, the name Apollos here in verse 17, but he's dismantling the argument of those who are trying to exalt Apollos because in Acts 18, like I said earlier, Apollos is described as an eloquent man. And in verse 17, Paul is saying he's not the most eloquent of speakers. Paul is saying that about himself, that, that people won't be persuaded by his ability to communicate his cleverness of speech because, because Paul spoke pretty plainly compared to the public speakers of that day. So his, his speech would seem pretty plain compared to Apollos or other speakers. And the fact that he was a simple communicator, Paul's saying, brought attention then not to himself but to Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit who was changing lives. So, so Paul's saying, don't boast in me or in Peter, or in Apollos, or anyone else. 
Sadly, there's a kind of preaching that draws people to the preacher. One key mark of such man-based preaching is that the hero of the message notoriously is the communicator themselves. It might be subtle, it might be really overt. In a sense, it is look at me, not look at him, or the other, the other overall focus of a message that is man-based tends to be, well, you can be your own heroes. I can be my own hero. But the gospel tells us Jesus is the hero. He is our rescuer, our redeemer, our restorer, that we are in need of rescue. We are in need of redemption. We are in need of restoration. He is the one who broke down the dividing wall of hostility that sin created and is our Prince of Peace. If we could be our own sufficient saviors, then we didn't need Jesus. Then there's no reason for us to be here today. We were not the Davids slinging stones, slaying the giant. We were the Israelites running. We were the Israelites cowering in the corner, sucking our thumb, fearful. We were not the David bringing our stones to the war. We were in need of a David. And the King of kings, the Lord of lords, has come. We were, in, we were born in need of a Savior, a good shepherd who would stand in our place, lay down his life for our sin, and then roll back the stone and walk out, conquering the giants of sin, death, and the devil, so that all who would place their faith in him could be saved and experience abundant and eternal life in him, so that we wouldn't cower in fear anymore, but rather we'd walk in faith. We'd walk in hope. We'd walk in love for our faith is in the victorious, risen Jesus. See, the hope of gospel preaching is not to make much of the messenger, but of Jesus Christ himself. The, the hope is not so that people would put their trust in men, but in the Messiah. This is one reason I believe it's so healthy for a local church not to hear from one person 52 out of 52. But so... As far as this local church, so those who are entrusted with teaching of the word here, that while styles and cadences and mannerisms and those kind of things are going to change, what you'll hear, I pray, is Jesus. You will hear his truth. You will hear his grace. You will hear his name that we collectively, communicator included, are looking to, depending upon. Jesus is the hero, not Paul, not Peter, not Apollos, nor any other character in the scriptures or any servant leader in the New Testament church, including you or I. The cross of Christ is what unites us, reconciles us to the Father and to one another as brothers and sisters. The cross of Christ humbles us, causes us to lay down our self-centered boasting and arrogance for the one with all authority in heaven and on earth willingly laid down his life for ours. The cross of Christ leads us to worship, not ourselves, not a leader, but Jesus alone. For Jesus alone saw us in our rebellion, our wandering, our straying and sinning, and laid down his life, the godly for the ungodly, the righteous for the unrighteous. The cross of Christ is what motivates us, compels us by love to go and to witness, to testify, to represent Jesus 
to those who have not yet put their faith in Him. Brothers and sisters, we belong to Jesus Christ. May our shared identity in Him lead us to speak the same truth and in the same Christ-like tone. May it lead us to pursue sewing up what has been torn apart or what is tearing. May it lead us to mend and heal what what has possibly been broken or fractured. And may we do that sewing, that mending, that humbling of ourselves for His glory and the good of His church, whether locally or globally. Lord Jesus, I thank You for this local church. I thank You for this family, these households, these brothers and sisters who who we call family. You are a chief shepherd and and our cornerstone. You are who we seek to worship with our individual lives and in the collective life of this church, the church of God at Cross Point. We belong to you. It's your good news that unites us, brings us together, and sends us out on a mission one sweet day in eternity. All arrogance, pride, conflict, fear, stress, envy, bitterness, gossip, and partiality will be no more. Until then, Lord, as we eagerly wait for that, may we be found faithful in loving one another and maintaining the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. May this church never be about a person, including me, Lord, or anyone in the future. May you be central, exalted, and made much of here in this place and among us as your people. You are more than able to do that. May it be for your glory in all the generations and in your local church. We pray this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Paul writes this in Romans 15. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Jesus Christ so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice.